Hi, I'm Rachel Gastic, and this is Formative, the podcast where today's leaders are interviewed by leaders of tomorrow. Today, we welcome a guest whose story, or a fictionalized version of it anyway, you may already be familiar with. In 1988, Devin Harris joined three of his countrymen on the first Jamaican Olympic bobsled team, whose extraordinary tale of trial, error, and honor inspired the hit 1993 Disney film, Cool Runnings. But he didn't stop there. After Calgary, Devin represented his country in the Olympic Games of 1992 and 1998. In addition to his athletic achievements, he is a military veteran, a motivational speaker, and an author, as well as the founder of the Keep On Pushing Foundation, which supports the education of kids in disadvantaged communities. We are so delighted he could be with us today. My student co-host today is Josh, a seventh grader at PS175 in the Bronx. Josh, um, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? You've entered into this world of podcasting. This is your second interview. Um, what do you do to prepare for these shows? Well, usually what I do is like, I just like practice speaking without getting nervous and like asking questions and like making eye contact and all that stuff for a good conversation. And so what have you learned in that uh, coaching and research and practice along the way? What do you think skills are that you're developing in this process? Well, one thing I've learned is like, after I asked a question, I don't have to immediately go on to another question. I can build off of that question to ask like more related questions. So how do you think this ties into what you do at school? What are some of the, your favorite subjects and things you like to do? And how do you think podcasting can fit into all of that? Well, I like math. And like, I think this could fit into like part two questions in math, I guess like adding on to your response in some way. So are you excited about speaking to today's guest? Yeah, I'm excited. My mom was also really excited. Since she grew up in Jamaica, she was excited for me to do this. Ah, wonderful. So why don't you take it away, Josh, and ask Devin your first question. My first question to you is, what was it like growing up in Jamaica in that environment? First of all, Josh, I'm excited, Rachel, as well. Thank you for uh, inviting me. And Josh, it's always great to speak to a fellow Jamaican man. So uh, thanks for having me on. Um, so I yeah, I grew up in Kingston, which uh, anybody knows about Jamaica as a capital. I grew up in a place called Olympic Gardens. Sounds like I was uh, destined to become an Olympian. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Olympic Gardens is actually one of the toughest ghettos uh, in the world. Uh, really tough, rough, impoverished environment. But you know what, as a kid growing up, I loved school because I could play as much as I, I didn't like class as well. I enjoyed being in class, but school was where I could play um, to my heart's content. And so uh, I love the idea of being in school and being competitive in class and being competitive on the sports field. My first love was soccer and then I ran track and all that good stuff. So it was, it was a fun times, man, it's Jamaica, how can it not be? Yeah, I also like sports a lot. I play a lot of sports outside of school as well. What sports do you play? Lacrosse and baseball. And I played basketball. Oh, kind of rough and tough, lacrosse, huh? All right, cool. When you grew up in Jamaica, did you ever visit St. Elizabeth? Dude, I spent my early years in St. Elizabeth. <laughs> That's where my grandmother lived. Is that where your parents are from? That's where my mom's from, yeah. Do you know where in St. Elizabeth? I'm not sure. Yeah, so I grew up... Um, my early years was in a little district called Haunton, St. Elizabeth, which is near to Lacovia, which is near to Magate. So, you know, yeah, the, the, my early years were spent in St. Elizabeth. When you were in school, besides sports, what were some other activities that you really enjoyed doing or had a passion for? Playing. Just playing. 
<laughs> so elementary school, I absolutely loved playing, but I loved learning um, in high school. So track was like my, my main thing. Um, then I, as I got older in high school, we had a thing called French Festival where we competed in plays. We did French plays and, and songs. And I can't sing, but I was on, I, I did sing a couple of French songs. And then I was on the, the school's quiz team, which is, we call it school's challenge quiz. It's a little bit like Jeopardy, but for high school. So, you know, I, I tell kids all the time, man, um, especially um, those who want to do sports, right? They want to become a pro basketball player, football player, whatever. I'm like, that's fine. But while you're building those muscles, those biceps and triceps, make sure you're building the ones up here as well, right? So uh, that's really, really important that, that you um, are always working to expand your mind, always working to learn something new. How did you get involved in bobsledding? Because I'm pretty sure that in Jamaica, there's not that much snow, so it must be hard to practice. So how did you get involved with that? Yeah, we're still working on the snow thing. Uh, it, might, it might take a while. Um, so I, I mentioned my first love in sports was uh, soccer, and then I started running track. And when I was in high school at 15 was when I actually started training seriously for track. It was um, 1979. And um, so I'm giving you a roundabout story here, forgive me. But uh, it was a year before the Moscow Olympics. And ABC Wild World of Sports, because we got some American TV in Jamaica, had a series called Road to Moscow. And in it, they showcase athletes from around the world. And, you know, when we think of Olympic athletes, we tend to think of these superhuman beings. And what I saw in that series were people were very much like you and I, Josh, average and ordinary. But they had these extraordinary dreams and an equal extraordinary desire to accomplish those dreams. And I'm like, well, maybe I could become an Olympic, Olympian. And that, that's where the dream of competing in the Olympics was born for me. But my major goal when I was your age was to be an army officer. And so if you fast forward, I'm 21 years old, I'm an army officer, and I, I'm having this rather intense conversation with myself. I'm like, so what are you going to do with the rest of your life, man? Now that you're an army officer, what are you going to do? Then I'm like, oh, yeah, the Olympics. Because I had this dream that I was going to compete uh, in the Summer Olympics running 800 and 1,500 meters. Yes, I'm from Jamaica. I was not a sprinter. Run about that time, though, two Americans who lived in Jamaica came up with the idea to start a bobsled team, and they couldn't get sprinters from the summer team to do it, so they came to the army looking for athletes. And my colonel uh, suggested that I tried out for the team. And so I went to the team trials, and the dream of competing in the Olympics remained alive, but I switched from going to run to bobsledding instead. Yeah, because when I first heard that you were bobsledding, I thought you were in a place like Canada or somewhere that had snow. I wouldn't expect Jamaica out of all places. Yeah, well, you know, so I tell you this, when our team got selected, which was back in September 87, our first bobsled trip was actually to New York, Lake Placid, New York, five hours north of New York City. And that was the first time we saw a bobsled and a bobsled track and all that stuff. And then the first time we actually went down a bobsled was in Canada. Since you started bobsled without much experience, how long did it take you to like really learn what you were doing? <laughs> I'm still learning and I'm retired. Um, you know, it was, you know, they talk about a learning curve. It was a really steep learning curve because the Olympics were in February of 1988 and we were seeing a bobsled for the first time in September of 1988. 
87, only, only a few months. But what it says to me is that any one of us can learn practically anything if you really uh, put your heart into it, right? It may be difficult, maybe scary, might hurt in, in some way, shape or form. We crashed at the, at the Olympic Games, but we ended up pushing the seventh fastest start time. You know, so we're the team with the least amount of experience. And after my first Olympics, I became a driver. And I, so I continued to, to grow in the sport. You know, I don't know that you ever, even the guy who wins the gold medal is ever perfect. You just, it's kind of like the journey of life. You're constantly growing, right? Even if you're in, in school and you're on the honor roll, there is still more things that you can learn and get better at. Did you have any inspirations for a running track, like anyone that you looked up to? Because usually people like have a motive for doing what they do. So I was just wondering if there was anyone like that that was like your hero or someone that inspired you. Yeah, well, you know, it's a really good question. Motive. Wow, you're you're kind of you're oh you're Jamaican. Is that why you're so smart? <laughs> Is that what's going on? Being Jamaican, you think that you know a guy like Donald Quarry, who was. Uh, an Olympic medalist in 1976 would have been my my hero. But my hero, the guy I looked up to was a guy called Sebastian Coe at the time. He's now Lord Sebastian Coe. He was an English 800-meter runner, and he was the best in the world at the time. So I aspired to be like him. I, I mentioned that I grew up in a really rough neighborhood. I was really poor. And so I, yeah, I had a really strong motivation to get out of the ghettos. Now, I know that I'm more famous for being an Olympian, but I did not at the time see sports as my way out. And I, and I still, to this day, don't think that sports was my way out, although I use my sporting background and achievements a lot now. My way out was to stay in school and work as hard as I could so I could become an army officer. Um, that was my way out, to become an army officer. And then that kind of opened the door to other things. So yeah, I had a really strong motivation to get out of the hood. Yeah. And here I am hanging out in New York with you, you know, you see how that works? Yeah. I also saw that you've gone to five countries. Was any of that being involved with the army or anything or was it like in, on your own time? Yeah, well, five. No, I think I've gone to a little bit more than five. But um, so my first time outside of Jamaica was because of the army. Um, I, I went to England. I was trained at the Royal Military Academy, Sandhurst, which is like West Point. And because of the army, I went to a couple other Cyprus and where else did I go? Wales, Scotland. And then the rest is bobsledding or speaking because these days I'm a motivational speaker. So I've been, yeah, I don't know, 25 countries or so now and counting. Out of all those, if you had to pick one, what do you think would be like your favorite one? So I have to pick more than one. So I, I've, when I was in high school, I studied French and I always wanted to go to France. And eventually I got a chance to go um, for the Olympics and I've been a few times. So it's, it's really great even now to go to France and use my bad French because um, I've forgotten most of it. And, and I really enjoyed going to Japan um, for the Olympics um, back in 98. And part of the reason I enjoyed it was because it was so different from the Western culture. And I guess I enjoyed it so much, Josh, that when I came back uh, to America, my son, who was seven or eight at the time, I spoke, I guess, so highly about Japan that he now lives in Tokyo. And I, and I have a grandson now who is Japanese, so go figure. Yeah. Right? See what happens when you start traveling around the world? All kinds of crazy things. Yeah. 
When you mentioned that you traveled around the world, you also said that you got went for motivational speaking. How did you get involved with that? So after the Olympics in 1992, I retired from the army and I moved to New York and I thought I was going to be working in the hospitality industry, you know, managing hotels and all that stuff. And I couldn't shake the bobsled thing. And so I decided to go pursue that again, to go to my to compete in my third Olympic Games. And I met another Jamaican. You have to watch out for those Jamaicans. You know, they lead you astray sometimes. Um, he wanted to be my agent, and he was the one uh, who told me about this thing called motivational speaking. Never heard of it before. And I thought, sounds good. I will do it, but after the Olympics. So I went to the Olympics, and kind of like you, after the Olympics, I, you know, I, I started preparing. Wrote my speeches, which is why it's really important to pay attention in school because although it may not seem like fun sometimes or many of the things that you do in class, believe me, it comes in handy. It becomes really important tools that you can use in other aspects of your life, things that you may not have been thinking about um, at that age. And so I was able to use many of the skills and tools that I learned at your age in, in school to prepare me to do this new part of my life. So also, I saw you do TED Talks. Was that um, a part of the motivational speaking thing? Is that a reason why you wanted to do it? Or Yeah, so yeah, I had been speaking for a number of years, and um, another Jamaican, they were having a, a TED Talk event in Jamaica, actually. And this gentleman who I served in the Army with in Jamaica, he was actually senior to me. I had to call him Sir back then. No, I can call him by his first name. Ha, ha, ha. How are you there? Like that. Um <laughs> But he told me that there was a TED Talk event uh, happening and would I be interested? I'm like, absolutely. And so, um, you know, I, I just I think that it's really important to take advantage of opportunities when they appear. And it may be something that you're not accustomed to. That's something that you may not, never have done before, kind of like you know, bobsled and being Jamaican or, you know, didn't know anything about motivational speaking, but I'm like, you know, I think I can do that. It's it's really important that we're always challenging ourselves because that's the only way you grow and get new cool experiences. Yeah. So you got involved with motivational speaking from someone else. So what do you think the best pieces of, of advice you were given was? <sighs> that's a really tough, I knew you were going to ask me some hard questions. Um, what's the best piece of advice I've ever been given? I, I don't know if it's one piece of advice per se, but just things that I've kind of learned from other people along the way. And I always, forgive me, go back to my grandmother, who I lived, uh, I spent my very early years with her uh, in the country, uh, in Jamaica. And she, she was an amazing storyteller. And she used to tell me, all these stories, the ones that, that I think had the greatest impact on me were the ones she used to tell me about soldiers and the amazing things they could do and not get hurt. And it just kind of lit up my little five-year-old imagination. Didn't know if I could do those things, but I wanted to do it. And that's what inspired me to want to be in the army. But more importantly, it inspired me to want to do things that other people thought were difficult or impossible. And that, that has really stayed with me. So people will make, uh, you know, suggestions or like, you know, the colonel tells me to go to the bobsled team trials and I went, but the truth is that I didn't have to make the team. But once you told me to go and I was going, I had to make the team. 
I don't know how I was going to do it. I just knew I had to do it, right? So I decided to take on that impossible task. And because I joke around a lot, Josh, I tell people I'm scared of speed and height and they think I'm joking. No, I'm, I'm actually scared of speed and height. But I had to do it, right? So just that, that little, those stories that my grandmother told me, I just kind of stayed with me all the way through. So how did, it, how did it feel being in a movie? Like, were you surprised? Were you happy? Or was it just like, you didn't really care? <laughs> That's a really good question. So um, first of all, the movie, uh, they, they took five years to make the movie. The movie was released in 1993. And so it was really, it's kind of cool to hear, oh, they, they want to make a movie about you. And then, you know, I'd have my friends go, what's going on with the movie? And like every six months you'll hear they're making a movie or oh, they're not making a movie. And then um, I had actually moved to New York. And so the, at the end of, must have been early 93, yes. I, I got a call and they go, hey, they're filming in Calgary. Would you like to go? I'm like, of course. So, you know, it's really cool, Josh, to be on a Hollywood movie set. I don't know how many people have ever been on a Hollywood movie set, but it's really cool to, to do that. But I would say it's even more cool to be on a Hollywood movie set, watching them film a movie about a part of your life. Very, very flattering, um, I have to say. So, you know, it's just uh, <laughs> one of the things that Hollywood movies are made of. When I was growing up in Kingston there, I never could have imagined that they would, I would get to the point where somebody is making a movie about a part of my life. Did you spend time with the actor that played you so that they could really master you in the film? Well, the characters in the movie are really different from real life characters. I spent, uh, we spent a lot of time with the writers and they wrote something entertaining, not true to form. And then I was on set, I met all the actors and worked with the stunt guys, but they weren't trying to, you know, play Devon Harris per se. We were playing a character that the, that the writers wrote. Yeah, since you've made a, vi- a bunch of videos in a movie, have you ever, do you like watch them a lot or have you like, do you like not watch the movie at all? I have not watched the movie in a while. I mean, obviously I've watched it numerous times. I've been to Japan and seen the movie on TV, you know? So it's like, oh, look at that. That's me speaking Japanese. How does that work, right? And of course, you know, I've watched it with my, with my kids as well. So it's, uh, but it's been a while since I've watched it. How'd your kids react to you being part of a movie or like based off a movie? Uh, you know, my, you know, my, my, I'm not famous to my kids. I'm just daddy. They, they, <laughs> they don't really care. <laughs> They're like, oh, it's, it's just you, daddy. Silly. Did you like watch your TED talks as well, or? <sighs> Why do you have to ask me all those hard questions, man? I, am, I am, um, I, um, I have watched my TED talk. I, it's kind of weird. And I hear people say it all the time. They don't like to hear themselves on tape, and I'm one of them. Uh, but because I want to get better at what I do as a speaker, I make myself watch, watch myself. And it's painful to watch myself because uh, I'm highly critical of myself. But uh, I also know that's the only way I get better. So, I'm, I'm, you know, I do watch some of the stuff that I do. Yeah. Do you think that they're helpful? Like when you watch it yourself? Yes, I think it's, you know, in the same way, you know, when you're in school and you write an essay, for example, and the teacher says you should reread your essay, you really should. Can I confess that I never did when I was in school? I'm like, I just wrote it. Why would I read it? <laughs> and now that I'm older and I'm writing speeches and books, I recognize the wisdom of that advice. Um, but what it does is that it just gets, gives you a chance to 
have a second look at what you wrote or what you said, you know. So I, I do watch myself and study myself so I can uh, get better at what I do. Yeah, that like helps you improve by looking at your writing and seeing you, well, at your videos and seeing the mistakes and how you can improve. Exactly, because, uh, you know, no matter, no matter what it is that you do, you know, as human beings, we are imperfect. Having said that, we can always improve. And so even when you do your very best, if you're going to be honest with yourself and you look, you go, oh, I, I, I missed this or I could have done this better. It was good, but I could do it better. And so you can make a mental note so you can improve the next time. Josh, do you mind if I jump in with a question real quick? Sure. Because uh, it's such an interesting conversation. And I remember reading something that you wrote that the greatest gift that you've ever received was the belief that a positive attitude and a never-say-die philosophy would carry you farther than a sense mm -hmm. of injustice and a heart filled with anger. I'm wondering how you adopted that positive attitude. Whether Was there someone in your life who influenced you? Like, who were the mentors and people that guided you in your life? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I got, whenever I'm asked that question or any version of it, I always go back to the answer I gave earlier, my grandmother, and being able to build on that. And then just being, um, you know, although it was a challenging, impoverished uh, environment, just, be, you know, being in school with teachers who were very encouraging and, and who challenged you a, a, a lot. And then just... Um, you know, there was something kind of in the air, you know, Jamaica, interestingly enough, was still a very young country when I was growing up, you know, we were independent in 1962. And so there was a lot of optimism, a lot of challenges, but there was optimism as well. And I just kind of gravitated to that, um, just didn't, I, I hated the idea that my destiny would be to uh, be stuck in this challenging, impoverished environment. Um, and so, uh, you know, I just, I kept working and, 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 and dreaming. I'm a, I'm a big dreamer and hey, dreams do come true, man. Dreams do come true. And what were some of the conversations you would have with your grandmother? Now, that's the thing. I was too old, uh, too old, too young to remember the details. I just remember the impact that they had on me. Like, you know, soldiers could jump in these deep gullies and not break their leg. And I'm like, oh my God, that... I wonder if I could do that. Well, you know, I don't know if I can do it, but I want to do it. I think all of us in, at some point in our life go, well, if he can do it, if she can do it, then I can do it, right? Although there's nothing in your experience that suggests it's possible. So I'm just taking that. And there's is that coupled with, I don't know, whatever it is inside me that just want to succeed, just want to do things that it's a kind of a crazy combination. <laughs> crazy good though. What happens when you're at your lowest point? Yeah, you know, that, welcome to life. It's it, You are going to have those low moments and you, you just kind of have to embrace them, accept them. I used to get really angry and not not throw things around, just like have these little, this, this really intense conversation with myself, you know, and then I just go back to work because it's not happening. It's not, I'm not, I'm not doing without this thing. So I, I just go back, get back to work, man. Let's, let's go. It's kind of like a boxer in the ring. I always use that as an analogy, except for when Mike Tyson knocks out a guy in 90 seconds. I've never seen a boxer go through 15 bouts and not get hit. 
right? And they're just like, okay, all right, I got hit, but I'm not going to stay down. I'm going to come out swinging. And that's what you have to do in life as well. I have one more question for you. Mm -hmm. While you're growing up, if you read many books, what do you think are some of your favorite or most inspirational books that you've read? Well, first of all, I, I, it, it's not fair to say I read many books. I, I actually only used to read the books that I had to read. But as you say that, though, there, this, I, we're going back to elementary school now, Josh, um, right off the top of my head. There was a story I read about the little engine. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. I know I can. I know I can. Um, those are the kind of things that just like truly resonate with me because it's like, it's just saying no matter what the challenge is, if you really hang in there, right? If you keep saying, and I have a book, I actually wrote a book. Yes, I can. The story of the Jamaican bobsled team. You know, so if you keep saying that, yes, I can, yes, I can. Well, one of the things that impacts your ability to succeed is what you keep saying to yourself over and over again. If you keep saying, I can't, I can't, then that's what's going to happen. But if you say, yes, I can, then more than likely it will happen. Josh, do you have more questions? Do you want to do, you want to do your this or that? Halloween or Christmas? My favorite holiday is Christmas because I was born on Christmas Day. <laughs> what's the best Wi-Fi name that you've ever seen? I'm going to say, I'm going to cheat and say D-Fighter because that's one of the things that I use, D-Fighter. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite type of cheese? Cheddar. Fan or AC? Oh, fan or AC. AC, man, it's, I, I hate being hot. I'm from Jamaica. Would you rather a cruise or a plane? Oh, I prefer flying. I don't like too much water. I like my water frozen. Arctic or tropical? I'm going to have to go tropical because uh, uh, when you say Arctic, I'm thinking North Pole here now, um, so tropical. My last question is riches or happiness? Happiness, always. If you're happy, then you have all the riches in the world. Yep, that's all I have for today. So, Josh, it's been great as always to co host with you today. And, Devin, it's been such an honor to have you on the show. We ask all our guests the same question when we leave is if you could go back in time and speak to your 13 year old self. What's one piece of advice you would give to yourself? Mm -hmm. um, don't be so hard on yourself. Enjoy the journey. You know, work hard, but uh, enjoy the journey as well. I don't think I did that enough. Devin, thank you so much for being with us today and for uh, spending time. And um, we just really appreciate you and have learned a lot from you today. So thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. Josh, great chatting with you as well, my man. Great chatting with you as well. Thanks for listening to Formative. I'm your host, Rachel Gazdick, CEO of New York Edge. My co-host today was Josh from PS175 in the Bronx. He was assisted by Jesse Cowan. Our guest today was speaker, writer, and Olympic athlete, Devin Harris. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Race Car. The show is produced and story edited by Charlotte Moore Lambert, post-production and original music by Garrett Tiedemann, Production Manager, Gabriella Montekin. Executive Producer, David Hoffman. Thanks to the whole team here at New York Edge for making this series possible. Never miss an episode of Formative by subscribing to the series at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.